Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. It was a fun weekend. Kara and myself met up with some friends and went paddle fishing. Always a blast. You always end up grimy, just covered in mud and blood, just being total rednecks out on the river, um, dragging giant treble hooks through the water, hoping to snag into a giant dinosaur looking fish. My friend Rocky and myself did not have keep tags, meaning that we could not keep a paddlefish. We could snag and release, but could not keep them. While Kelsey, Kara, Rachel, and Logan all had keep tags so they could keep fish. But uh, it was good times for sure. Kara ended up having to one-up us. And by that, I mean my personal best was 88 pounds and Rocky's personal best was 90 pounds. And Kara had to go ahead and catch one that tipped the scales at 91 pounds. Pretty crazy watching Kara hold up that fish. Um, yeah, these things are cool. They're just giants swimming around in Montana. If you haven't seen our Anyfins episode, we did a whole Anyfin Goes episode on paddle fishing. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. I'll put a link in the description. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With fishing in mind, let's go to Michael's Fishing Corner. Welcome back to the Fishing Corner. We did a little improvements, uh, read some of the comments, saw that we needed a little bit more fishing paraphernalia. So I got my boy Seth Fighter up here. Uh, Brad Pitt from a river runs through it. Some random brown trout I found on the interwebs, but uh, yeah, welcome to the new and improved fishing corner. Um, the update isn't anything spectacular, unfortunately. We've seen a lot of rain here in our part of Montana and the rivers are blown out. We did get out and do a little bit of high water nymphing last week and had some success doing that, finding the slow water and catching a couple trout, but uh, Besides that, we tried a few other rivers this weekend with some success. Fished the creek a couple times and was lucky enough to catch two tiny little brown trout. I'm talking this big. Little guys in the backyard, but I always like doing that this time of year because everything's so blown out. The Yellowstone's at like 15,000 CFS. The Missouri by us is at 15,000 CFS. And this is like lots of rain so this weekend not planning on doing a whole lot of fishing unfortunately i'm going to a wedding in boulder but next week we're going to hit the missouri hard i know the pmds are going to be popping great dry fly action all weekend day 86 will be today i'm going to get out one time before i leave tomorrow so hopefully a better fishing report for next week back to you marcus also this week was the second portion of Warriors in Quiet Waters Hunt for a Purpose program. 
So Dale has been out there helping out and filming all week. We mentioned it briefly in a previous episode, but Warriors in Quiet Waters is a foundation dedicated to providing experiences in the outdoors for post 9-11 combat veterans. Go out and provide these healing experiences in the outdoors. Super cool program. They invited me out to the ranch this week to talk elk hunting tactics. Uh, super cool to see the whole setup and get to learn a little bit more about the organization. Also had a chance to sit down with the CEO, Brian Gilman, for a deeper dive that we'll have at the end of this episode. Also, this project that Dale is out filming with Warriors in Quiet Waters is his final project with the Fresh Tracks crew. He is leaving Bozeman, moving elsewhere, and continuing his career. Dale's bear hunt is still gonna come up on the channel here in the future, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, we wish Dale well on his future endeavors and wish him good luck. On to some news. The Bureau of Land Management just acquired 35,670 acres of land near Casper, Wyoming. Uh, it's a huge chunk of land, and not only will that land become open to the public, it also opens up access to multiple other parcels that previously were inaccessible. In total, it's going to be over 40,000 acres of new land available to the public. The Martin property that they purchased borders almost nine miles of the North Platte River, which is one of those sweet tailwater trout fisheries, opening up a ton of access for both hunting and fishing. The biggest funding mechanism to make this project possible was the Land and Water Conservation Fund. We've mentioned the Land and Water Conservation Fund numerous times in the past, but LWCF funds come from offshore oil and gas royalties, and they go towards projects like this, amongst a million other things. There's really cool stuff that happens with LWCF. In fact, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, they just announced their allocations to the states, so you can go and see how much uh, money was allocated to various projects in your state. So I'm sure we're gonna see more stories like this coming soon of different acquisitions and different projects. They have that interactive map, and it's just hard to comprehend just how many places these funds uh, get spread out to. It's pretty cool. Also for this land purchase, key players were, of course, the Bureau of Land Management, but also the Conservation Fund. They are a national nonprofit that facilitated this transaction. Really interesting to see how these projects work. Often these federal land agencies aren't able to react fast enough or they don't have the authority to flat out purchase a property. So conservation groups like the Conservation Fund or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation work together to facilitate the transactions and actually purchase the property and then find the funding mechanisms to pay for it and then convey it to the land agency. In this case, it was the conservation fund working closely with the private landowners, the Martin family, to purchase the land, then using various funding mechanisms over several years, including funding from Congress, LWCF, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's grant, and they were able to finally purchase this property and convey it to the BLM. It's a lot of moving parts, but at the end of it, it's a super cool piece of land that holds all sorts of game species, has sweet fishing access, and it's gonna be open to the public to go out and enjoy. Also in that same press release, they announced the acquisition of 160 acres of land in the Dominguez Escalante National Conservation Area in Colorado. So this property has about a half a mile of Escalante Creek, which is a popular recreational area, as well as hosting several sensitive fish species and habitat for mule deer and bighorn sheep. Again, the conservation fund was the facilitator in this story, working with the former owners of the property to make this happen. These are the stories that I really enjoy. Next up, we have multiple firearm and ammunition bills that are emerging, and a heated discussion seems to be happening everywhere. 
Emotions run high whenever this topic is discussed. Many of these bills moving forward would impact hunters one way or another. Uh, increased costs, limitations on weapons being the immediate direct changes as well as some other indirect changes. So in my narrow view of the world, I tend to look at issues, the impacts that they will have from the view of a hunter. So there's obviously numerous societal and political issues and facets to this, uh, but inside my narrow bandwidth of thinking, I always think I go back to how is it gonna affect a hunter. With that in mind, there's this fascinating thread that is emerging on Hunt Talk. Uh, it's grown to be over 42 pages long, talking about gun control, background checks, mental health, etc. Uh, definitely gets off into the weeds occasionally, but it's a surprisingly civil discussion and it's really interesting because I think this forum kind of serves as a subset of hunters and different opinions talking about the issue. I'll put a link in the description if you want to check it out. It's just a, kind of an interesting read as far as a forum and thread goes. While we're on highly emotional topics, let's talk about wolves. In Idaho, 143 domestic sheep were recently killed in a pileup where wolves caused the sheep to panic and crush and suffocate each other in an effort to escape. Wildlife services investigated and confirmed that it was indeed wolves that caused this incident and they are planning to kill the wolves, but they were unable to locate them. Some of the hunting community has been very fired up about this incident as wolves have been responsible for the reduction of game animals in Idaho as well. This livestock depredation further emotionally charges these arguments and the feelings towards the predators. Last year, hunters and trappers killed 437 wolves in addition to 43 wolves that were killed for livestock depredations. Hunting and trapping can serve as this mitigation tool but to curb wolf-related issues, but incidences like this cause emotions to run high and people push towards more control, more bounties, whatever it might be to kill more wolves. It's hard because history has also shown us that certain decisions or if numbers change too rapidly, management can be taken away from the states. So when this happens, the public loses their ability to be a part of the process through hunting and trapping. So it's a very delicate balance whenever something like this happens. Interesting study was just published in the Journal of Wildlife Management that utilized hunters' reports for their data. This collaborative study between Washington State University, United States Geological Survey, and Washington Department of Fish and Game looked into 1,700 bull elk killed by hunters in the state. They used that data for the study. The simplified explanation, the basic finding of that study, bulls that had asymmetrical antlers often also had deformed hooves. The deformed hooves are caused what's commonly referred to as elk hoof disease. It's a transmissible disease that can lead to death and potentially affect reproductive potential. The paper did note that there's limitations to hunter-collected data where certain things can be misconstrued, but you know, it's better than no data. And I think it's kind of cool that hunters get to be a part of the process occasionally in, in these science-related things. I think it, it helps bridge the gap between researchers, hunters, the wildlife agencies, and everyone involved. So it's kind of cool to see these projects, even if they are just a public relations campaign more than uh, actually finding anything that has management implications. Because that's what I was really curious about is what are the management implications for this study? In their paper, they basically said that there were no management implications, which I get. I was kind of hopeful that there could be some sort of implication, such as targeting the affected individuals, targeting elk that had abnormal antlers, and an effect to curb the spread of the disease, but I'm sure there's just too many other factors for that to be an effective method. Regardless, super cool study, cool story. So those were a few of the stories that were on my mind this week. 
For the deeper dive this week, we have Brian Gilman, who is currently the CEO of Warriors in Quiet Waters. Brian is a retired U.S. Marine Corps colonel. He's led Marines in combat during multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, completing his active duty service as the Marine Forces Special Operations Command Chief of Staff. Brian left active duty to lead the Warriors in Quiet Waters team. He's an amazing individual. He does an amazing job, and I am completely unqualified to interview him, so I mostly just sit back and listen. I'm here with Brian Gilman of Warriors in Quiet Waters, CEO. Yep. This is an amazing uh, ranch. This is an amazing program. Super excited that you asked me to help out. But uh, I was hoping you could kind of give me a background on the why of Warriors in Quiet Waters. Kind yeah. Of how it originated and then just. I'd love know, to. The I'd love to. So we're sitting here at Quiet Waters Ranch. Um, it's a property that the foundation purchased in 2014, um, but the, the foundation started well before that. So 2006, okay. we were established and incorporated as a nonprofit, did our first veteran program in, in 2007. Um, but the story goes back even further. It goes all the way back to Vietnam. Um, the founder of Wars and Quiet Waters Foundation is a guy by the name of Eric Hastings. Okay. A Bozeman kid who grew up here in Bozeman. Yeah. Fly fished his entire life, um, joined the Marine Corps and became a, a pilot in the, in the Marine Corps and was a combat pilot in Vietnam. Through, he flew the A-4 Skyhawk, um, flew about 168 combat missions over Vietnam. Wow. Um, as you can imagine, that experience traumatized Eric, uh, as it would anyone. Um, and he came home from the Vietnam War suffering from symptoms of post-traumatic stress, even though it wasn't a a diagnosable condition at the time. He was, mm -hmm. you know, struggling with what he what he experienced in war. And to hear Eric tell a story, you know, he came home to Montana, went straight to the water with a rod in his hand, tied on a fly, and he found healing. Eric went on to serve an entire career in the Marine Corps, ultimately retired as a colonel in, in the, the early 1990s. Eventually made it back here to Bozeman and was around the 2006 time frame, you know, hearing and reading about all these, you know, these tra tragically wounded warriors coming home from the post 9-11 uh, wars and, had, and started talking to his wife, Jean, about what they could do to help. And on a fly fishing trip in Canada, they conceived the idea to put together a program built around fly fishing that would provide these post 9-11 combat veterans the same benefits and healing that, that Eric found from fly fishing. So. With his wife Jean's permission, um, she was actually the first donor of the foundation, gave him, gave him $10,000 to get it started. Wow. And Eric came back and started, you know, gathering up all of his fly fishing buddies in the, in the Gallatin Valley and said, we're going to put this program together. Um, and that's how it got started. I mean, it was a completely volunteer organization. The board members were the, the fly fishing guides. Um, our first cohort of warriors, Eric flew down to Balboa Naval Medical Center in San Diego, California, and convinced the medical staff to, to put a a cohort of veterans on a military flight and fly them up here to put them through a, through a program. And that was our, our first inaugural, what we call our solo fishing experience. Um, six warriors right out of Balboa Naval Medical Center, um, you know, tragically wounded amputees, um, some with, with bandages still on their wounds, you know, and the, the military chow hall food in their guts. Um, and that's how they got started. We ran four programs that first year and have just built from there. Um, you know, <clears throat> Continuing to add wow. additional programming on as we went along, they realized the next year in 2007 that the you know not just the veteran serves but the family serves as well. So they started a couples fly fishing program where we'd bring a, a you know a cohort of warriors and their and their and their spouse or significant other with them, and put them in this in this program together. Um, 
Yeah. You know, the, those, those that have experienced fly fishing understand it because they've done it, but we know now from research that the benefits of spending time in nature um, and the benefits of, of taking advantage of immersive activities like fly fishing in nature or archery elk hunting, which I'm sure we'll get to, yeah. um, the benefits that, that those provide, you know, well-founded benefits backed up by research. Um, we know that spending time in nature makes you more mindful. It makes you more present. It provides you respite from stress and anxiety. It <clears throat> uh, gives you a, a much more positive outlook on life. You know, all those things are really important, especially when you're experiencing a transition like a wounded warrior will experience when they're wounded or when they're transitioning out of the military. Yeah. Um, and we know that immersing yourself in an activity like fly fishing or archery elk hunting also has some additional benefits. It will, first thing that it does is it distracts you from those day-to-day -day challenges that you have. Um, the second thing it does is it provides you comfort because it's an enjoyable activity. Um, and as a result of that distraction and discomfort, the brain starts dumping dopamine into your system. And the combination of those three things, distraction, comfort, and dopamine, make you better problem solvers and make you more creative. Um, you know, I've seen some research studies that will call it the shower effect because we've all had epiphanies yeah. in the shower. That's what the research tells us why that happens. So when you think about a wounded warrior who's, you know, struggling with that transition, what am I, you know, who am I now? Uh, you know, um, a wounded warrior that's lost a leg or something like that, they're, you know, their life's different going forward. Uh, any active duty service member, when they leave the military, that's a huge transition. Their life's different going forward. And for many, it's a, you know, it's a, an experience that really puts them off center. Um, and we know from experiencing it, the proof of our program, and we know from the research that that's why this helps veterans, you know, deal with those those challenges associated with those transitions. Gotcha. And that's how the program was built. Um, we've been running 15 years now. Um, wow. And like I said, continuing to add additional programming on with our latest program being our, our, our archery elk hunting program called Hunt for Purpose. Awesome, yeah. So, what, I mean, how, how long have you been, can you just talk through like what it's like to watch these cohorts go through, I mean, how many people have you been able to see go through this program mm -hmm. and just kind of describe like what what is it you know what are these individuals how do they come out on the end i mean you you dove into it a bunch but yeah yeah how many people have you watched go through this program yeah well, let me let me back up a little bit yeah. and talk about how i got here okay um, yeah i got a really unique opportunity when i was on active duty i was a lieutenant colonel in the marine corps assigned to, to to go to the joint staff um you know the, the staff that supports the chairman of the joint chiefs um Ultimately got assigned to an office called the, the Chairman's Office of Reintegration. And this was an office that Admiral Mullen, when he was the Chairman of the, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, established to really lead the Department of Defense efforts in creating effective reintegration pathways for transitioning service members and wounded warriors. So I got three years of experience while on active duty, really interacting with all of the, the veteran services organizations, the, the, the corporations, the communities that were trying to help veterans reintegrate when they came back. So that. That's really where I got my exposure, and I tell everybody that's where I got my ma my master's degree in this space. Yeah, um, you know, talking to thousands of veterans, working with hundreds and hundreds of VSOs, trying to create pathways for veterans to successfully reintegrate in, into their communities. Um, so I was on active duty in the Marine Corps, assigned as the Chief of Staff of Marine Special Operations Command in December of of 2019, and was was notified by a friend that this organization, Wars and Quiet Waters, was looking for a new executive director at the time. Um, I had known the, 
one of the board members from a, you know, a previous introduction. So I reached out to him and asked him, you know, do you think I'd be a good fit? Because I knew from that experience on the joint staff that when I retired, I wanted to work for a nonprofit supporting veterans. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it looked like a really good opportunity. And ultimately, that's how I ended up getting here. I'd, um, you know, I was able to compete for the job, was lucky enough to be selected by the organization to lead it. And as a result of that, I, I retired a little bit early from the Marine Corps and came here in June of 2020 um, when I started working in, in June of 2020 here at Wars and Quiet Water. So over the course of that time, I've seen a total of about over, well over almost 40 programs now um, of warriors coming through our various different programming. Um, so I've had, in the short time I've been here, I've seen an opportunity to really experience the impact that this, this program has on it. And it very, I'll tell you, it, it will vary by the individual, um, you know, what you see that impact. Typically our programs are, we'll call them low touch, because we, what we don't do is we don't ask the Warriors to, to unless they want to, to talk about those challenges. Mm -hmm. It's all 100% non-clinical, built around fly fishing, built around spending time in nature, to allow them to find that on their own. And then the one tradition that we've always had is we have what's called a sayonara dinner at the end of the program. And that's the one opportunity where you know we, we give the warriors the opportunity to stand up and talk about what they've experienced in the program. And I will tell you, in the vast majority of those, you you'll see a change from the warriors from when they when they showed up on the first day to that day on, at Sinar dinner. And many times they'll talk about the life-changing experience that it's really been for them. And then we also measure what we do. Um, we work with uh, Syracuse University's Institute for Veterans and Military Families that, that measure the outcomes that we're trying to achieve with the programming. And we do that through surveys of our participants. We'll survey them prior to coming. We'll survey them a week after they've, they've been through our program. And then we'll survey them every, every year thereafter annually. And we, we're, we design these surveys to, 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 to collect data specifically about the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Are we providing that, that respite from stress and anxiety? Are they sleeping better as a result of that? Are there, are there relationships back home improving or, or remaining solid? Um, do they continue to fly fish and go back to that therapy is a continual way to really stay centered and focused on those challenges that they need, need to in transition. And we see th from, from, from that program evaluation methodology that we've had some significant impacts. You know, the, in terms of measuring the, the reduction of stress and anxiety, that's, we have statistically significant proof that, that our program does that. Um, there, ability to break down those barriers of isolation and, and find those human connections that are so important to us um, as human beings. We know that, that that's an outcome that we achieve. Continually going back to nature, using fly fishing, um, like I said, to become centered and stay focused on those, those challenges is another outcome that we know we achieve. So um, that's how we measure it and that's kind of the impact that I've seen. And we really, really the, the, way, the way our program works, our fishing programs work, is it really starts with this place, Quiet Waters Ranch. We immerse them in this location. You I mean you're sitting here? We're surrounded by the Bridger Mountains, um, 112 acres, three fly fishing ponds. It's quiet here. There's a lot of serenity to be found here. So it all starts here, and then we extend that experience in nature to the places that we bring them fly fishing, the both the public and the private waters that we that we fish on. When we're blessed with a lot of local landowners, it will open up their properties to us to allow veterans to fish on those properties. So some of the you know most unique opportunities to fly fish in, in the Northwest United States, we, our warriors get exposed to that. And then we teach them how to fly fish. Um, the first day of our program is what we call Fly Fishing 101. 
And that's all about teaching the warriors and their family members who are participating how to fly fish. So it starts with the equipment and we fully equip them with all the equipment that they need to continue fly fishing when they go home. Everything's 100% cost free to our participants. They go home with all that equipment. And then we, then we provide them the knowledge through the use of professional fly fishing guides that, that have supported our, pro, our program forever that teach them how to do it. Yeah. Um, and every, all the other knowledge that's associated with that, how to read water, entomology, all those types of things. So we equip them to continue to do it when they go home. Um, and that provides that immersive activity that I talked about that provides those, those benefits of spending time in nature and you know, better problem solving, more creativity, respite from stress and anxiety. And then over the top of all that, we overlay all that with a, a, a safe, secure, emotional environment yeah. that's provided by our volunteers and staff. Our number one goal when we bring warriors here is, is to establish trust and connection with them first. And we do it with those three layers that I talked about. And we have about 15 volunteers that support every one of our programs. You know, we assign every, every, every one of our participants with a volunteer companion who is their battle buddy for the week. And really that companion's number one responsibility is to establish a connection with that warrior, that family member. We have what we call our volunteer moms. Those are the volunteers that will stay here at Quiet Waters Ranch. They'll, and they really make the lodge and this place feel like a home away from home. From the, you know, the, 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 the comfort food cooking that they love to provide, their own family recipes, just to the way that they receive the warriors and interact with them. Um, and that really establishes that, 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 that baseline of trust that, allows the warriors to become just a little bit vulnerable and really start processing and making meaning of those challenges associated with their transition and starting to come, come to some conclusions with that. That's our, you know, historically, that's how our programs have always worked. Hunt for Purpose is bringing it a, a, another step um, where we're actually, in a, you know, once we've established that trust, we're, we're actually actively working with them on some of the most significant challenges that veterans have when they transition. You know, one of the things that, um, I really, really learned when I was on the Joint Chiefs was the immense role that purpose plays in the lives of veterans. And if you think about it, it makes sense because, yeah. you know, when a, when, a, when a service member comes into the military, pretty much all of their needs are taken care of by the military. You know, their housing, their training, their food, everything's provided by the military because the military is set up so that active duty service members can focus 100% on the mission. Um, and in, in the course of that, you have a sense of mission. You have a sense of purpose. You know what your mission is. You know why you exist. You've been trained how to do it. And that's all very clear. And that, that, that stays with you the entire time that you're on active duty. Yeah. But when you leave the military, all that essentially gets stripped away. The hierarchy of needs that was provided for you by, by, the, by the military, all those needs that, they, that the military took care of, that's all gone. And you're, you're left as a transitioning service member to figure out how you're gonna you know, refill that bucket of needs and you're doing it on your own, and you're doing it in most cases for the very first time because everybody goes in the military relatively young, after high school, after college, and that, you know, that's their first experience really dealing with that. And that's why that challenge of transition is, is so challenging. Yeah, um, it's impossible to imagine <clears throat> for me, but just going from you know, defending your country and being at the highest level of just sense of purpose mm -hmm. to then coming yeah. back and yeah. transitioning to civilian, yeah. it's just... So that's what we're focusing on with Hunt for Purpose is we've, you know, as we've thought long and hard over the last 18 months about how we can increase the impact on our participants, you know, do more for more veterans, yeah. you know, and, and pull every bit of potential out of this organization, our ability to impact our, our, our participants' lives. We really focused and keyed in on that, that ability to guide them to, to greater clarity around what we call the pillars of a thriving life. 
So that, that's security. You know, that's all those things that we talked about. So, you know, the, the, rest, the, stre the respite from stress and anxiety, those human connections, you know, and the base needs that we all need, you know, making sure that you have financial, the financial ability to take care of your family, all that, security. The next one is identity. Who am I now that I'm a veteran, no longer active duty? Um, you know, what do I value? Now that I'm out of the service, what do I, what do I value? What's my potential now as, as a veteran? And ultimately, how am I gonna live a, a, a life of meaning and purpose? So Hunt for Purpose is designed to lead them to a greater sense of clarity around those pillars of a thriving life. To, to answer those big questions that I believe every transitioning service member needs to answer in order to truly th thrive. Yeah. And that's why this organization exists. Warriors and Quiet Waters Foundation exists to enable post 9-11 combat veterans and their loved ones to thrive. And that's where we're focusing with Hunt for Purpose. Yeah, it's beyond impressive, the level that you guys go through. And I didn't know, I didn't know about all the research that also mm -hmm. goes into it. Yep. It's very, very interesting. Um, and then not only the Hunt for a Purpose, but you've done the ice fishing programs and then the there's backcountry experiences and yeah. conservation. I've seen that there's a lot of stuff that yep. you guys are expanding into, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, we've um, added we've added programming, you know, consistently for the last two and a half years. Um, yeah. In addition to those that stable programs that we had, you mentioned the conservation experience. We bring our alumni back here to fly fish, but we also partner with the conservation organization and work on a conservation pro project. Really provides them a you know a, a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. in terms of, of having an impact on the landscape, on the, on the fisheries that we fish on, and also connects them to, to the volunteers in that partner organization that we're partnering with. Yeah. Ice fishing experience, it's kind of tough to fly fish in Montana in February. Yeah. So this is a way for us to do year-round programming. Um, and then this year, you mentioned the backcountry fishing experience. You know, for the first time here in a little over a month, we'll bring a cohort of veterans 10 miles deep into, into, into the backcountry, and they'll fish some high alpine fisheries. Um, you know, all supported by stock and, and, and you know, so we're, we're providing that base level of comfort that we need to, but we're really excited for the outcomes of that. And then our, la our latest program is Hunt for Purpose. Incredible, so. yeah. So um, the Hunt for a Purpose, that's what I was here today trying mm -hmm. to help with. Hopefully I provided a little bit of here, knowledge. Yeah, so these awesome. guys are gonna be going to two different spots mm -hmm. in Montana, archery elk hunting yep. nonetheless, yep. which is impressive, that next level mm -hmm. of and we picked, we, and, we picked you know, archery because it's hard. Yeah. We it's, picked it because it's hard. And that's part of the, you know, the theory behind Hunt for Purpose is it, for me personally, archery elk hunting makes me better in every domain of my life. You know, I've been, I've been a lifelong hunter, mm -hmm. um, really started out rifle. My dad was never an archery hunter. Mm -hmm. um, I picked a, a bow up in college and then joined the Marine Corps. When I could come home, I was hunting with my dad, so it was mostly rifle hunting. Um, but in about the last five, six years, I've really focused on archery a lot. And... Like I said, archery makes me better in every domain of my life. It, it, you know, it, that's what gets me out of bed early in the morning to go work out. Yep. It, it is, ensures that when I'm around my family, I'm present and giving them what they need for me to, to provide for the family. Taking care of all those issues at home so that I have the space and the time yeah. when September rolls around to step out, step away, and you know, really get into the mountains and get what I need out of archery elk hunting. Um, it makes me a, makes me a better leader at work. It makes me a better employee. It just improves me in every domain of my life, and that's that's why we picked archery elk hunting because it's going to be a challenge for these participants. Um, you know, getting an elk on the ground isn't the objective of the program. That will act, that will absolutely be you know the the the, the cherry on top. Mm -hmm. But this program is designed to help them improve in those domains of their life and find clarity around those pillars of a thriving life that we talked about.
Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so still the primary first experience though is that fly fishing experience. Yep. Um, I guess who would you encourage, what warriors would you encourage to apply for that? So you have an application form mm -hmm. on your website. Yeah. So, I mean, who are you looking for in that scenario? Yeah, we serve, so we serve post 9-11 combat veterans. Yeah. Um, and what, really what that means is they have to be from the post 9-11 era. They had to deploy to a theater in contact and they had to engage with the enemy in some, some shape or fashion. And as a result of that, they have to have some service related challenge that they're dealing with. They don't need to have a purple heart. They don't have to have been wounded. They don't have to have a diagnosis, a, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress but they need to meet those conditions to be a combat veteran. And they have to be able to articulate a challenge that they're, that they're dealing with as a result of their transition out of the military. So that's the cohort that we recruit from. Specifically for Hunt for Purpose, we open it up to our alumni, um, you know, veterans who have been through our other programs. Yeah. And we really ask them to talk about in their applications what they thought that they would benefit from going through this program, understanding that it was designed to get after those pillars of a thriving life. And that's really, what we focused on when we did the selection process was what did they write about in those applications that talked about how they, th they thought that they could most benefit from the specific outcomes that we're trying to achieve with the program. So, Awesome. And yeah. then you also can apply to be a volunteer too. Who are you seeking out for? Are you, are you in need of volunteers ever? Is there anything where there's um, yeah, we're, more we're, of a need? We're volunteers, as I talked about before, are you know, such a critical element of our program. We could not do what we do without the volunteers that support us. So we're always in need of volunteers. Um, you know, luckily we're blessed with, a, a, you know, a, a great volunteer manager that has really done a great job. And we're, you know, this year we're, we're, we're about 98% full for volunteers, but those turn over year after year. Yeah. And we're always looking for new volunteers to apply to volunteer. Um, you know, and there's other ways to volunteer to help our mission, you know, outside of the program as well with events that we do in town to, to help raise the resources that we need to, to conduct these programs. Um, but I, I would encourage anybody that really wanted to have an impact on post 9-11 combat veterans, this is a great way to do it. Get on our website, click on, click on the volunteer link and send in an application. Our volunteer manager will call you within the week, they'll interview you, and then you'll be on our list to get placed in a program yeah. um, you know, as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, and we'll so, put a link in the description that people can go great. to. And then there's also, you can always donate as well. Yeah. Um, um, there's a tab for that. Yep. And then uh, I saw you also have, you know, any landowners who might have a good fishing experience on mm -hmm. their property yeah. too. That's always appreciated. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 it, the finding fishable waters is, is always a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, we experienced a, a pretty severe drought last year. Fishing restrictions started in early June. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been a lot of turnover of private land in, in Southwest Montana. So, you know, some places where we've always relied to go and, and bring our, our participants fly fishing have transitioned to new owners. And then, you know, we lose that opportunity. So we're constantly looking for great fishable waters where we can bring a cohort of veterans on and expose them to the benefits of fly fishing. And we're always very respectful and very um, mindful of the needs of that of that landowner um, in terms of privacy needs, making sure that we're not impacting the landscape or the fishery, and ensuring that we're you know we're not we're not over overusing the resource. Everything that we do is catch and release, and we ensure that you know if a landowner tells us we can only have six rods up, only six rods are fishing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, everything that I've seen, it's just beyond top notch here. Thank so. you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I really appreciate you know giving me your time, and this yeah. is. It's yeah. been a really cool experience. Well, like I'm I said, excited to see how everything progresses, like yeah. the Hunt for a Purpose and all these yeah. programs you're expanding into. I've heard about the fly fishing stuff, but getting mm -hmm. to see a little more of it firsthand has been yeah. 
really cool. Hunt for Purpose is a program that, you know, we couldn't have done without all of these great partners, like mm -hmm. On Your Own Adventures, that have come together with us to do it. Um, unlike anything that we've done before, and really in a lot of ways, we, we lack some of the core competencies to do that. So, you know, that's why I reached out to Randy and Dale, you know, asked them, you know, is this something you'd be interested in and helping us out with? And, you know, it, that's all it took was an ask. And Randy was on board and yeah. has been with us for the entire program, teaching, you know, these participants everything that he knows about archery elk hunting. You spent an hour and a half today with us talking about elk tactics, elk calling, um, you know, all those things that we need to, to, to maximize the potential for success. You know, we've had a ton of other, other partners that have come together with us as well. Mountain Tough Fitness and here in Bozeman has provided all the, the physical training um, and, you know, has provided them 100% access to their, to their, their programming. Um, we have the Commit Foundation, another veteran services organization that's assisting us as well, as, long as, as, as well as a lot of the great gear sponsors that you, that you yeah. all have introduced us to that really made this program affordable. So, you know, every time I talk about it, I have to give a, you know, a shout out to our partners because we couldn't have done it without you. We couldn't have done it without you. Well, yeah, thank Randy for sure. Yeah, yeah he's definitely. I, I, I do every chance yeah. I get. Every chance I get. So. Well, thanks a bunch. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. All right. All right, man. Thank you. Yep. Yep.